Hello, welcome to the Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan, and joining me on this lovely Sunday morning from his home in Brooklyn, David Dixon. David, what's up? What's going on, Kelly? Junior year's over. Moved out of Wesleyan yesterday, back in the Big Apple. Seems to be a nice day, and Game of Thrones finale tonight. Doesn't get any better. Yeah, it doesn't get any better. For the NBA, it doesn't get any worse. We, we can talk about the Warriors first. Blazers had them on the ropes the past two games around halftime. I think they were up 17-1 and one and 15 in the other and wound up losing both. And it feels like we've seen this type of game from the Warriors so many times over this era of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Steve Kerr. What do you just make of the Warriors' ability to really, I mean, dominate Portland without Kevin Durant? I think it just reminds everyone just how good they are without Durant because we give credit to KD so much as like, oh, he's the ultimate cheat code. And then we kind of just forgot how good they were before Durant signed with them. They won 73 games. Their motion on offense is just incredible. And this is what Steph can do when he's given the chance to be the guy. When Steph doesn't have to share the spotlight, he's a he's an MVP caliber player. And he's an MVP caliber player even when he does share the spotlight with Durant. But when he comes out and just dominates games and is winning games by having 37 and 36, you know, hitting big threes and huge layups. And there's just, there's just nothing Portland can do because this is like the best version of the Warriors prior to Durant. Like they're clicking on all cylinders right now. Yeah. I love this version of Steph Curry. Same for Clay Thompson. The whole argument that the Warriors are better with Kevin Durant, it seems kind of crazy on face just given you know, here's a former league MVP and you're going to say the team's better without him. I think the style they play is different. And Seth Curry said it really well. He's like, there's no way they're better without Kevin Durant, but they're definitely harder to guard. They're just different because what, so you watch the Warriors without Durant. Draymond becomes this playmaker the way that he was before Durant got there. Instead of being in that tertiary role He's now more of a focal point where Draymond has been incredible this series. It's the Draymond of old, triple doubles, dominating in the in, in pick and rolls, making great passes, you know, great defense. It they're just different, and people. It's the human instinct of oh, Durant's out. We have a chance, thinking that the Warriors are going to maybe, you know, take their foot off the gas pedal a little bit and be easier to beat, and then. These are still champions. This this team did win a title without Durant. So they're just they're just different and they'll be different next year too because they're going to lose Cousins, they're going to probably lose Durant. If they re-sign Thompson and Green, I don't know if they'll make the finals, but they'll definitely be a, a contender without Durant next year. Yeah, and speaking of Draymond Green, he's not a free agent, but he's eligible for a contract extension. The way he's played in this series in particular, he's been sensational. Like you said, he's been dominating on defense. I, I'm not sure if there's a guy who's faster in the league, and I cannot believe I'm saying this about Draymond, but when he gets the rebound and pushes the ball, his just the frantic way he dribbles down the court, he looks like he's out of control, but he always seemingly makes the right decision and the right read, and a lot of times that's finding Steph or Clay for open threes. And, you know, he here's, here's a guy who has been much maligned over the course of the Golden State run 
he's often talking to refs and complaining, but he's the heart and soul of Golden State. And I think as much credit as there is that goes to Steph Curry, I think Draymond Green is just as important of a piece to the puzzle. Yeah, I mean, if if you just took the box scores and you saw Draymond's numbers, especially from, from game three, he was he had 20 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists, four steals. I mean, and, and a block. I mean, he was just impacting the game at every single level. And Coach Kerr said after the game that he was like a runaway train or something like that, or, or, or like a wrecking ball in, in game three. Because as you mentioned, like when he gets the rebound and he just goes, he's so hard to stop because he's gonna, he's too big and too strong that if you try to foul him, he's still going to get a good shot up, shot up on the rim. And he's too good of a decision maker that if you commit oh, and that you overcommit to him, he's going to find the right guy. And with Steph and uh, Clay running to the corners, and you have Iggy running to the basket, there's just there's just nothing you, you can do. And this is just I know I, I keep saying this, but this is just like the Warriors of old with just their motion, where obviously Steph and Thompson make them so hard to guard because you have to get out on them because they're such great shooters but they're just they just always make the right play the way that they pass and cut it's it's just incredible to watch incredible to watch from portland's perspective is there this series is 3-0 i think it's over they like i said they played very well the past two games but is there anything you know they can take from this game either moving forward into game four and maybe take one or just moving into the future is there anything portland takes from this series you know, maybe pieces they need to look to add. I know they have a lot of money tied up, but if you were Portland, this season's definitely a success because making the Western Conference Finals this year is an accomplishment. But just what do you, what are kind of some of your thoughts from Portland's perspective? Yeah, you know, if I'm Portland, I'm definitely really conflicted about this series because obviously it's very disappointing being down 3 0 and without Durant, you, they probably really felt like they had a chance to at least make it a really competitive series. But if I'm them, I try to have a positive outlook on this and say, hey, guys, we were up big at halftime in two of the three games so far. And it caused the Warriors, like we caused them to raise their game and have these awesome third quarters like we're so used to seeing the Warriors have. And I think if I'm Portland, this, this series proved that we can play with them. We're, we're one or two pieces away, but we could play with this current iteration of, of the Warriors. So going forward, assuming that they lose Durant and free agency, this is the Warriors team that, that, that they're going to have. And if I'm the Blazers, I'm saying, hey, we're one or two pieces, one or two guys taking a little bit of step forward from being able to really, really compete with these guys. Yeah, I'm not sure they'd be in the same discussion as, say, the Rockets next year or maybe even the Lakers if they can add a piece or the Clippers if they can get Kawhi. But... This season, this series in particular, I think, has been encouraging, especially considering Dame hasn't really been Dame. Yeah, he kind of peaked. He peaked in that Oklahoma City series, and since then he struggled. There was a report that came out. I think it was this morning that he has separated ribs that he's playing through. So, I mean, maybe that's kind of an excuse that they can they can go to. But on the whole, it's just there's a lot of good teams that have been playing, kind of in this time period that have just run into the the jugsaw that is golden state and it's unfortunate because there's a lot of i mean james harden comes to the top of mind but there's a lot of players who are worthy and title level players and guys who probably deserve championship rings 
who are not going to win them just because of how dominant Golden State has been. Yeah, and we're going to talk about this era in a few years, the way that we talk about the Jordan era of all the teams and all the guys who Jordan beat in the in the playoffs and how Jordan didn't let them get any championships. And we're going to talk about these guys who the Warriors are beating at, in in just exactly the same way. Yeah. So let's let's move on to the Raptors and the Bucks. This one I thought would be closer than it's been. Milwaukee has game game two, they absolutely dominated thoroughly and just outplayed Toronto in that game. Kawhi didn't have much help. But what have you kind of taken from this series after the first two games of Milwaukee? I'm not ready to say that this series is over yet, because even though the Raptors got absolutely blitzed in game two. I look to to game one more as the indication of where the series is because the Raptors are really, really good and the Bucks are great, but that doesn't mean that they can't be beaten. And when you look at the Raptors, you're just trying to find anywhere that they can get help for Kawhi. And at home, role players always play better. So I think that they'll get the help that Giannis was getting for... Uh, for Kawhi, like you have, you know, George Hill had double digit points and Braj had double digit points and Ilya Sova had more than had 17 in game two. So I think that the guys who come off the bench for Toronto and their, their role players will play better in game three and game four because they'll just be at home. Yeah, I agree. Brooke Lopez had 29 points in game one. He had 27 in the entire first round. Yeah, that's that's not a repeatable performance. But the thing that I'm a little concerned about, I think game one was a game Toronto could have won. Kyle Lowry, that was probably one of the better playoff games he's ever had. He had 30 the points. The Kyle Lowry game. Yeah, 30 points from Kyle, 31 from Kawhi, and you lose the game. That hurts. The thing that I'd be concerned about if I'm the Raptors and why I think this has the potential to be a short series is through two games, Eric Budson and Chris Middleton have done squat. They've combined in both games for 40 total points between the two of them. So, yeah, probably the role players for Toronto are going to play better. But I, I'd like to bet that Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton are also going to play better. And Giannis is absolutely feasting from, from the free throw line. He's taken 12 attempts per game in this series. And, you know, he's just not forcing the issue and is really embracing the moment. Like some, some guys just have that look in their eye where you know, like, all right, they're built for this. Giannis is one of those guys yeah Kawhi after that shot against Philly we talked about it it, it would have been it was an emotional win for sure and one that maybe could have been like monumental and keeping him in Toronto but after this series and just the lack of help that he has I'm not that might be out the window but this is a must win for Toronto yeah I think Toronto will will win game three tonight uh I think Kawhi will have a big game I think Lowry at home will play well uh, and the role guys will will step up, and I think that you know Milwaukee, Milwaukee is is prone to to drop in a game as as it did against Boston, and I selfishly want it to be a competitive series because the other one is going to end on Monday night, and this one will probably, if it's going the way it's going, will probably end Tuesday night. I had a Giannis question for you. So, has there been any player who you could remember? or you could think of make the monumental leap the way Giannis has from last season to this season where in just in terms of where last season, he was obviously sensational, really good all-star all that. 
And then this year, it's like, oh, he might actually be the best player in the world. I think what's changed this year has just been how well the supporting cast around him has been utilized. And a lot of that's a credit to Mike Budenholzer because the personnel outside of Brooke Lopez hasn't really changed all that much. I don't know what Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty were doing, but they had the horses and they just weren't able to to make it work. Maybe LeBron in like 2007 when he went off against the Pistons in the in the playoffs and then lost to the Spurs is maybe something that comes to mind. But I think I think Giannis has been this good for probably or close to this good for about a year or two. He's obviously going to get better, but the success they're having this season is more so just. I would put the the onus on the kind of the supporting guys and and them understanding and and playing into their roles. And and I want to give credit to I think it was Jason Kidd who was a coach at the time. I think it was Giannis's third season where they let him play point guard. They came out in training camp and said Giannis is going to be our our point guard. And I think that that has really really helped just his development. You have this unicorn basketball player who really doesn't really have a position and they could have pigeonholed him into being a big or just a wing and kid said no we're gonna expand his whole game and make him play point and that's I think has made him a way better playmaker and a way better scorer too because by having that experience with the ball in his hand for a whole season I I don't think kid gets enough credit for that because he got fired and they underachieved but in terms of helping Giannis get to where he is now, I think Kid gets gets some credit for that. Yeah, I mean, Larry Drew was the coach Giannis's rookie year, and I think he started to do that. And Kid definitely gets credit, but I think Jason Kid likes to take some credit for this Bucks development and stuff. Oh, for sure. And you know, I'm sure he used that to his advantage in the in the Lakers situation. Yeah, but um, I, I think you're probably right. Jason Kid deserves deserves some credit. Speaking of, of the Lakers situation, I I want to go a little tangent here. So they hire Frank Vogel, and then eight seconds later in the Woj, the, the, the eternal Woj shams battle for who can break news first, one of the guys says Vogel's been hired as, as head coach. And then like eight seconds later, they say Kid's going to be the, Jason Kid's going to be the lead assistant. But this doesn't make any sense, okay? Because if they, they clearly want Jason Kidd to be the head coach, why isn't he just the head coach? Why is it that they have to go through this sham of a season where it's going to be if everything goes wrong or if things don't go right for a little bit, Vogel's going to get all the blame, LeBron's going to hate him, he's going to fire it, and everyone's going to be calling for Jason Kidd. Like, shout out Frank Vogel's agent for getting him $15 million, but this just seems like we're just going to fire Vogel in 10 to 18 months and just hire Kidd. I mean, is Frank Vogel, are we sure? I, I wouldn't have chosen him as the coach to coach LeBron I would have given Ty Lue what Ty Lue wanted because we've seen him win a championship with LeBron so you know if they don't win a championship it's not necessarily because of the coaching Frank Vogel is a fine coach like when he was with the Pacers they weren't the most talented team and I think they really pushed the heat to the brink a couple times but I mean if you're choosing between Jason Kidd and Frank Vogel like I'm not gonna fault you if you like I, I the dynamic is going to be strange because Jason Kidd's going to be there and Frank Vogel is going to be constantly looking over his shoulder but the Lakers they've screwed this ever since they've really got LeBron there are so many decisions that they've made that have been questionable and this is just another one added to that list 
I mean, maybe they, they just want Kid because everyone is still trying to compare Lonzo to Kid. And maybe Jason Kidd will give him the the wisdom for how to shoot the basketball from someone who couldn't shoot at all to someone who turned out to be a really good shooter. I just don't get what they're doing. I think you summed it up really well by saying they haven't made a lot of good decisions since they got James. You can even say even before that, like getting James was the best decision and the only good decision they made in the last three years. No matter how they were being run, LeBron was going to the Lakers. So it's not even a credit to them like, oh, they had a good situation set up that LeBron wanted to come to L.A. No, LeBron wanted to come to L.A. because he has business ventures out there. It's easier for him to live. His kids were getting ready to go to high school. And for him, it was a life decision. It was a life decision, right? I mean, it had a little bit to do with basketball because their young nucleus is somewhat appealing and can definitely be used as trade assets. But don't don't think LeBron came there because he was evaluating situations across the league and was like, oh, the Lakers make sense. It was a life decision, like you said. Yeah. And from from where they go forward, we're going to talk about this a little later. But so so then so then they announced that they're not rehiring someone for Magic's job. So it's just going to be Palenka now making the decisions. Well, has Palenka proven anything about knowing what to do? Like, I would have fired Palenka too and hire someone else. Yeah, I would have just started over. Rob Palenka will always be loved by the Lakers management simply because he was Kobe Bryant's agent, I think. he's he's got He's got Kobe in his corner, basically, and the bus family does not want to upset Kobe. That That's my read on it. Okay, so you don't want to upset Kobe, but, I mean, do they not realize that Kobe doesn't play anymore? <laughs> I mean, like... I mean, they're making a case for the most dysfunctional franchise in the NBA at the moment, and that's tough given the Knicks state of things, but the Lakers have been a train wreck. Oh, my God. All right, so we're going to take a break right now, and coming back, we're going to talk about the lottery because I got a lot of takes about the lottery, Kelly, and I want to hear your, your thoughts about them. So quick break here. All right, Kelly. Lottery was last Tuesday. One of my least favorite nights of the year for for the NBA because it adds nothing but stress and I think that it's just a little silly the way that they do it with Mark Tatum holding up the envelopes in front of basically just a ballroom of people with the front picks or with the with the first picks in in the front row and the Pelicans win like how do the Pelicans win I know that it's a ping pong ball and they had six percent chance of winning but what has the NBA like the NBA keeps trying to bail out the Pelicans and I don't like it David we know it's not rigged it was a it was a random drawing the Pelicans had what a six percent chance and their six percent chance came through so they've now landed the two best players of this decade in terms of NBA draft prospects, Anthony Davis in 2012 and all signs point to Zion Williamson being a Pelican come next season. Right. So, okay. So first, so, so the first thing they do is that they bail out the Pelicans by, or the, 
formerly known as the Hornets, in the in, in the Chris Paul trade with David Stern for the Lakers. And then they get him to the Clippers and probably have a better package in, in return. And then they own the team for a little bit. They basically just buy the team from the old family. So they were controlling it. That, that's how they got Davis. And then they've been nothing but mediocre ever since. They had a good run last year. And then I just don't understand. Like, Zion's going to be playing in, in New Orleans with an unhappy Anthony Davis. Like, this is just not where I wanted him to go. Okay. I think the NBA, you're inferring in a sense that they rigged the lottery. I'm not going to go that far, but I will say it's interesting. When you hear of expansion teams, when you hear of teams moving to Seattle, to Vancouver, to whatever the next city might be, the two teams that are always brought up as possibilities to leave their current cities happen to be the New Orleans Pelicans and the Memphis Grizzlies. Yes. Where are those two teams picking? They're picking one and they're picking two. Exactly. So that's a little mysterious, but... Let's let's not go down this road. The Pelicans, they're going to pick Zion Williamson. I guess, what did you think of the revamped lottery? And then what do you think of Zion's fit in New Orleans? The revamped lottery is that it's going to reward teams like the Pelicans and the Lakers for realizing we're not very good. Instead of pushing and desperately trying to get the eighth seed, let's just sit our superstars down a little bit and load manage them and rest them for second halves and fourth quarters and road trips so they can spend time with their kids and families and not have to go on the road. And what's going to happen is that you're going to have these teams who are mediocre, like the Lakers and the Pelicans, who don't play their best players. And it's not going to be tanking. It's just going to be load management. Yeah, I agree. Tanking, maybe the teams like the Suns, and the Cavs of this year, when they try all season, have the absolute worst record and they p- are picking fifth and sixth respectively. It's a little bit of it's just disheartening in that sense. But I think they're still going to tank. And then the teams that are also going to tank are now the teams like the Magic this year who are chasing the eighth seed, as you mentioned. Yeah. Why are we going to ch- chase the seventh or eighth seed, get blasted by the Bucks or the Raptors in the first round when we can drop into the lottery have a realistic chance. Look at the Lakers, who I think they were 11th and jumped up the fourth. If there's that type of you know, movement in the lottery, it doesn't make sense for these teams to just enter the playoffs to basically get run over when they can, like you said, rest their superstars, rest their guys, and improve their franchise's chances moving forward. I mean, it's just, it, I mean, it's a true lottery system now where basically if you just got to be in it to win it. And if you have a 5% chance, the difference between 5% and 14% is all, isn't great enough that would make that would incentivize teams to to tank to try to get that 14%. It's not the 25% the way that it was before, which is a huge incentive for a lot of teams to try to get that worst record. You know? So I just I just don't know what this means because, you know, me and you, we both love going to games and a lot of times you want to go see the best players in the NBA. So, okay, this past year, you know, if, if you're a fan of a team and the Lakers only come into town one night a year, it's the last two weeks of the season, and you want to see LeBron, and, oh, well, LeBron's not playing because we're trying to get a good lottery. We're just trying to make sure that we're still in the lottery or Anthony Davis or any of these other superstars 
in in the league and I think this is going to turn out worse for the NBA and they're not going to like it as much because they want their stars to play and I think this is going to lead to stars not playing because there's nothing you can do there's always going to be three or four teams who are just absolutely dreadful and those teams are still going to be dreadful even with this new lottery system I think it's only going to hurt the teams that should be doing better and are underperforming I think it's going to curtail the tanking that takes place in December and January and February. But once we get to March and April, like you said, the last couple of weeks of the season is going to be it's going to be tough to watch at times because these teams are going to be rather than trying to push for the postseason, they're going to try and abandon what they've done all season and just be bad enough to fall out of the playoffs to have a chance at picking in the top five. It's just an unintended consequence. The NBA really thought they were trying to. I mean, I also thought they were doing a good thing, but it like if if you're the Cavs or the Suns or one of these teams who struggles to land marquee free agent talent, like I, I don't want to reward teams for just incompetence. And I feel like if you were to give the Cavs say a top pick again this year, you're almost doing that. Or the Suns, or there's a couple other teams too. But these these teams are not going to land free agent talent, really. No one wants to go play in Cleveland. So it's one of those things where if these teams aren't going to have high draft picks, they're just going to be bad in perpetuity. Right. They're going to be bad in perpetuity. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know a better way to solve this problem, but I I, I don't want to just like it's it's good if different teams are good and have an opportunity to win rather than just the same teams over and over again and a lot of these teams don't stand a chance in free agency and then if we change the draft lottery as has been done and it looks like it's kind of drastically altered the way in which these teams finish versus how they actually select i'm not sure that actually benefits the nba as a whole on the front of now these teams are not only going to strike out in free agency but they're not going to be able to select players in the draft towards the top where they otherwise would be selected yeah i mean it's like with any sports league it's in any system there's always gonna be the teams at the top and there's gonna be teams at the bottom and the the draft usually the you try the the point is that with the reverse orders that you get the teams from try to get the teams from the bottom to the top and the way that the nba with the lottery system is that that doesn't always work. So the best chance still for these teams, as you're saying, is you get a top four pick. And because those are the guys who usually turn into all-stars. And when you have a team like Phoenix or Cleveland or Charlotte, always picking like not at the top, they're just always in the lottery. And that they're just always good enough that you get like – a little bit of hope, but never good enough to actually make the playoffs. And that's what's going to keep happening. But but enough about the, the picks and the order. I want to talk about... So, New Orleans is probably going to take Zion, assuming Zion still comes out, which we both think he will. Who does, who does Memphis take at two? Because they have Mike Conley, but John Morant is the number two prospect across all the boards. Do you think that they'll take Barrett or do you think that they'll take Morant? I think they're going to take John Morant and I think they're going to trade away Mike Conley and just totally hit the rebuild phase. And 
They have a pick next year that's top six protected. So my guess would be they're going to try and be pretty bad next year and hopefully select in the top six again and then add another blue chipper to play alongside Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant. That, w- that would be what I would do. Wait, so so you're saying that they're going to tank next year to stay in the top six for their protection? That's right. And like we just talked about, it's tough to guarantee that, but I think they're going to be bad enough where that's a probably likely that they wind up in the top six. And, you know, Mike Conley, that he was talked about getting traded to like Utah earlier this season. I think sometime prior to the draft, because hopefully for their sake, they're going to be able to get some picks in that deal. Move, look to move Mike Conley and then kind of just full on, full on rebuild in the Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley era is in the rearview mirror. I, I agree that they'll, they have to figure out what to do with Mike Conley because he's been a huge part of that whole team with the grit and grind era. He clearly loves being there. And I, who would he go to though? Because so many teams have a point guard that I don't know necessarily what the market would be like. I'm thinking maybe Miami needs a point guard. Boston will probably need a point guard in the future because Kyrie's, you know, not going to be there. What about what about trading him to Toronto for some package centered around Kyle Lowry? And then you right after that's done, you trade Pascal Siakam and some other stuff for Anthony Davis. So you're saying Toronto would get Davis or you're saying that Memphis would get Davis? Toronto, Masai Ujiri trades for Mike Conley, basically Kyle Lowry and maybe have to include something else. Their salaries match up. Then once you have Mike Conley and you get the green light from Kawhi that he's going to stay in Toronto, you then trade Pascal Siakam, who we didn't talk about, but has looked like a deer in headlights in the playoffs. Yeah. Trade trade him and say OG and Anobi and someone else, maybe Norman Powell, Serge Ibaka for salary, and just get Anthony Davis. Then you have a big three of Anthony Davis, Mike Conley, and Kawhi Leonard. That is a that'd be a force to be reckoned with. That's something I would think about. I don't think Norons would I don't think New Orleans would, would take that. I I think that they want some picks and they want the hard part is for New Orleans is that all right, so you trade Davis, we've talked about this before. Whoever you trade Davis to is, is going to get better. So if you try to get picks from them, unless you get a lottery pick this year, those the picks for Davis in the future aren't gonna be that good. Because the idea is that your team's gonna be good. So I think that they're gonna look for a, a good package of players as well. And I just don't see Toronto having that package. I mean it depends what you think of like the Knicks, they're offering the third pick. That's That would be attractive. The rest of the Knicks' core outside of, I mean, Mitchell Robinson's kind of intriguing. Yeah. I don't want anything to do with Kevin Knox. I don't want anything to do with Frankie Smokes. I don't want anything to do with Dennis Smith Jr. Like the, the Knicks are just tossing a bunch of nickels at the Pelicans and hoping it adds up to a dollar, and it just it's not going to. I, I The only way the Knicks get Anthony Davis, I think, is if Gail Benson, the owner of the Pelicans, is really hellbent on not sending him to L.A., which she said. But I just think at the end of the day, you have to take the best offer regardless of what team you're sending him to. And right now, assuming – I don't even know if Boston will go after Anthony Davis because if Kyrie leaves, I, I don't think there's really any way Anthony Davis is going to stay in Boston if he's really the only marquee guy – but if they threw in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, maybe that gets it done. I I think that's pretty that's pretty attractive. If you would if you're able to get both of those guys, I think that's tough to say no to. I mean, the Nuggets would have an interesting offer if they decided to to jump in. 
but some of these teams there's going to be a dark horse team that's why i said toronto for anthony davis that makes a push for him that we're not thinking about if you had to guess do you think anthony davis ever plays another game for the pelicans do we see an anthony davis and zion lineup or is anthony davis gone i think they'll take it to to february because if i'm the pelicans and i okay, i i'm going to take zion i have drew holiday and i have davis unless davis just says i am not playing i'm not showing up that's a playoff team i i feel like with holiday davis and zion so i feel like you got to give it a chance cuz if they're in the playoffs would davis really want to still get traded in the in the middle of the season if if they're in like the playoff hunt it depends what he wants. I, I, that that's tough. I think I do agree with you that if you add Zion into the mix, because the Pelicans were a fringe playoff team this year, so you add who is a guy who's supposed to be the best rookie since Anthony Davis or maybe even since LeBron, it would make sense that they would probably have a chance to make the postseason. But I just think the timelines don't really align in the sense that Zion is going to be really hitting his peak. And granted, he's going to be good in the lead up to it. But probably four, five, six years down the road is when Zion's really going to be clicking. And I think Anthony Davis wants to go to a place where he has the opportunity to not just make the playoffs, but win championships now. And I think that the place, as I'm looking at the, the order, I don't know if they'll do it, but what about Atlanta? Because they have 8 and 10. You give up John Collins. give up Kevin Herter. You pair Trey Young with Anthony Davis. The Pelicans would then have three picks in the top 10, a couple of nice young pieces. I feel like that would be a really intriguing offer. I think it'd be an intriguing offer, but if you're Atlanta, you're, how is that any different from New Orleans? You're, you're offering Anthony Davis to play next to a, basically a rookie. And like Trey Young versus Zion, I think it, it's, it'd be a cool experiment for a year, but I don't see any way Anthony Davis stays in Atlanta. Yeah, I just, it's just as I'm looking at this, because it's, it's basically a three-player draft. Right now, on May 19th, Zion, Ja, R.J. Barrett. For the teams that are picking 4-14 to 14 in the lottery, I think we could see a lot of teams trading out of this, out of this draft and trading back and trying to get anything that they can for those, for those picks. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I was talking to Jordan Sears yesterday. He's, he's high on Cam Reddish. He thinks Cam Reddish has a chance to be behind Zion, the next best player in this draft. So, All right, so, so, so he's alone on Reddish Island. Okay. So we'll, we'll give him that estate. Um, I, I agree with you, though. I think, But the thing is, a lot of these teams are going to want to trade out, but the consensus around the league, like you said, is it's a three-player draft. So who's going to want to trade in? Unless there's a team that views a Jarrett Culver or DeAndre Hunter or one of these guys as... A, a chance to potentially you know add some significant value to their franchise in the near future it's it, it makes sense in theory that teams would trade back but in order to trade back someone's got to be willing to trade up and i'm not sure if if that's really if that's really going to happen that's a good point i because we just look at the prospects it's like all right darius garland is the fourth ranked prospect but he was basically hurt the whole season you didn't really get to see much of him and Jarrett culver and all these guys are basically for four to fourteen there's a lot of consensus on them. So Jordan likes Cam Reddish. He's basically alone on that. Everyone says that he's going to dominate workouts, but when you watch him at Duke, he wasn't that good. So I just don't know what to do if, if like, if you're Washington at nine, like, like, what are you supposed to do? Take Bull Bull? 
I, I think if you're Washington, you think about trading Bradley Beal potentially to the Lakers for that fourth overall pick. If that's not enough to get Anthony Davis and then you have four and nine and you still have John Wall's contract, which I cannot articulate how terrible of a contract that is and how much of just an impediment that is for the future, the next GM of the Washington Wizards moving forward. Like for the next four years, Washington Wizards fans, they should just go in hibernation and not watch any basketball because it's almost impossible to build a competent roster around that contract. It's just not going to happen. So I think they just load up on young talent and hope, you know, nine, maybe you, you swing for the fences and hit a home run but Washington's in a tough situation. Let's let's wrap with just discussing Zion and what are fair expectations for him this season. I mean, rookie of the year. He'll be the best rookie. Uh, I think he'll average anywhere between 17 and 20 points a game. Uh, he won't put up the numbers like Doncic did, but he'll definitely put up really good numbers. I could see him being, you know, obviously I said already, rookie of the year and key player for the Pelicans where you say a either this is the guy we can build around if Davis leaves or b this is the guy who's who's keeping Davis here would would you want to see Anthony Davis stay in New Orleans or do you want I know we already talked about him but do you want him to stay do you want Zion to be good enough where he's like Anthony Davis is going to stay or do you want to see Anthony Davis go play elsewhere I mean that's a tough question because if Davis stays with Zion they're gonna make the playoffs I think with Holiday so it'll be fun to see them in the playoffs together. But then also seeing Davis with LeBron will be fun too. I, I think it's just like, I just want Davis, I want either Davis to stay in New Orleans or go to Los Angeles because those are the two places that I would actually want to see him play. Like, I don't want to go see Davis in like a hypothetical, like they obviously can't get him, but like, I don't want to see Anthony Davis in Indiana, you know? Uh, I want to see him with a chance to make the playoffs and prove to everyone that he's not this guy who's, only worried about who all the media attention about him is about like the off-court stuff and people can remember just how good he is on the court i think as it pertains to zion it's tough to really think about how he's going to mesh in new orleans until we know what happens with anthony davis because zion playing alongside anthony davis versus zion playing alone in the front court in new orleans i think that drastically alters things but the expectations on Zion are sky high. I think if he comes out the gate, wins rookie of the year, he's definitely the favorite, like you said. If he averages 18 and 9, it's hard to really say that's a disappointing season. But it's just hard to contemplate how he's going to fit in New Orleans when we don't really know the status yet of Anthony Davis. Yeah, because no one expected him to go there. We were all expecting him. Okay, well... What is he going to look like with the Knicks? What is he going to look like with Phoenix or Chicago or Atlanta? And the Pelicans were part of, I think, the outcome is that the the shock for everyone's not knowing how to process because no one thought they were going to get it. Yeah, it was. we were waiting around to see who would get the number one pick because the team that got the number one pick, it was assumed that they would try to flip that for Anthony Davis. And when the team yeah. that got the number one pick had Anthony Davis, all of a sudden that's off the table. And it just kind of threw everything into whack. I think that the Knicks, I was unhappy with the third pick. I was very, I was, you know, disappointed. But I think R.J. Barrett's a great consolation prize. I don't know how he'll fit with Kevin Durant if he's still coming. I would say I would say the third pick will never actually play for the Knicks. I think there's a high likelihood they move that pick. 
I think all signs point that they're going to get some free agents this summer. And R.J. Barrett, I think R.J. Barrett's actually going to be a very good pro. I don't think his game translated great at the college level. And his situation at Duke, he was deprived of really potent shooters. And I think that affected him and his decision making. But I think he's going to be a good pro. But if I had to, if I had to guess, I would say New York does not even make that selection. I think that the I think the Knicks should take a page out of the Nets book and take Barrett. I still, you know, everyone's saying Durant's coming. I'll believe it when I see it, Kelly. Uh, there's there's been too many decades of just false hope for for Knicks fans that I'll believe it when I see it. But what about going the approach for them? You have all this cap space. Why don't you just take on bad contracts the way the the way that the Nets did, and just try to get more draft picks out of it? Because I think that's what they just have to be doing. You know, if they strike out on free agency, I think that makes sense. But if you get a Kevin Durant and a Kyrie Irving or some other permutation of superstar, you you can't be taking on bad contracts then. And I think their sights yeah. are set on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So that to me, that wouldn't make sense at this time. But David, there's there's a chance that we don't have basketball. Unfortunately, there could be like eight or nine days here if both these series end in sweeps. The finals don't start till May thirtieth. It's it's gonna be tough out here. Yeah, I mean, after tonight, no Game of Thrones either. So, I mean, this could. I just don't know what I'm gonna do. I mean, Je- I mean, Jeopardy James comes back. I think uh, tomorrow, so that'll be fun to watch. His daily massacres on the jeopardy board yeah he's i I just don't see anyone who's gonna be able to beat him like who's gonna come on the show and and like the dude's just gonna run it back for the next like forever well i mean like he i mean he just bets so aggressively that he could in theory do a daily double late in the game and bet fifty thousand dollars and trying to end it and just happen to get it wrong and then that'll be the one that that beats him i i agree with you that i don't think anyone can beat him I think it'll be a self-inflicted mistake, like a like a bad bet. Yeah, it makes sense. And then he'll just go back to his life of being a sports gambler out in Vegas. Yeah, with a huge purse to go with him of millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. You can also be found on Spotify for those interested in listening with a non- Apple device. If you have any feedback for the show, good, bad, or indifferent, you can write to us an email. Our account is double double four zero two at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to us on Twitter, we are on there as well. Our Twitter handle is DBL underscore DBL podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. Take care and make it a great day.